folks, it's Sarah from the Herald and Modcast. The podcast recently traveled to Ireland where we covered the Audi Dublin International Film Festival. Featured at the festival was the film High Rise based on the J.G. Ballard book directed by Ben Wheatley. The film stars Tom Hiddleston, Sienna Miller, Jeremy Irons, and Luke Evans. This is an excerpt from the Q&A with director Ben Wheatley after a special screening of the film at the festival. The first question is, where on earth did they find that high-rise building? Um, that building was mainly, sadly, mainly found in the computer from the outside, but the, in, the inside stuff was um, in Bangor and, um, and the stair ceiling uh, terminal in Belfast. So, yeah. You can't beat a, a stair ceiling for that 70s vibe. Yeah, it was, it was quite... The, I can't understand why it was so... They abandoned it. It wasn't. It wasn't quite seventies. The stair building, but the, it was more like an eighties, like kind of uh, lots of big pipes type thing. But the uh, the um, the sports centre that we found in Bangor was yeah was was proper period. And how did you find yourselves in Northern Ireland? Because uh, the basically the most of the, the when you look up and down England, all the all the good brutally stuff's been knocked down, or that it's. Um, clad in marble or that it's uh, full of asbestos and no one will let you near it um, or it's the Barbican and you just can't fuck the Barbican up like we wanted to in this film so that, that, that's what led us there and this building was unique in, a, in that it hadn't changed since it was it hadn't been updated it was next to a police station so when they closed it down no one vandalised it and we walked in and it was the 70s you know it was perfect um, and it, I think for me it was really important to work in a space that was the exact the proper proportions and made of the real materials that you couldn't argue with you know. so you point a camera at it and it was the place yeah because when I watched the film one of the things that struck me was this is not your bullshit life on Mars fake 70s this is I felt like I was actually in the 70s the people having sex had hairy legs you know people, it just looked oh, and then my favourite touch action comic yeah I mean I think that you know what we're hoping for is that when you go home after the cinema tonight you have to wash your clothes because they smell of cigarettes Um, and that was important I don't think we got it smoky enough you know we tried we really fucking tried and they smoked and smoked and smoked and it still wasn't how I remember it which is like a basic fog which you couldn't see through and penetrate through but I think you have to have like about nine ten hours worth of you know 30, 40 adults smoking about 60 fags each to get to that position, which we just didn't have the time for, sadly. It's the hairiest, dirtiest, smokiest film I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm hoping that there's an award for that. But if, there's not, if there's not, then that's fine. You know, it's not why we do it. And um, it's definitely a film that's going to divide audiences. And what kind of reaction do you have so far? I mean, people are very... But most people I've talked to, you know, they're so excited. It's, it's, it's a film that just presses their buttons. But I know a lot of very, you know, strange people. Have I had a stroke or is it... Oh, no, I'm still on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, the audience reactions are either really, really brilliant or I don't know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tend not to follow that side of it but yeah I mean yeah he has been divisive and stuff but then all the films have, that I've made up until now have been exactly the same you know and if you're if you're kind of um, masochistic enough to, to search your own name as I am and, uh, and search out all the negative stuff then you'll find it but I think it, you know I think it's um, uh, you know from sitting in on, on screenings and stuff it's been mainly positive you know. 
Yeah, but I think all the great, you know, if you're looking at Ken Russell and Nick Roig and Pell and Pressburger films like, you know, the, the great British filmmakers have always divided opinion. I mean, Michael Powell was never a pop popular filmmaker when he was alive, really. And, you know, you've got to be aware that uh, the great films are always going to piss people off somehow. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> really not. I'll just step on all those. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah just like that. Yeah, yeah I, mean, it does, I mean, there's definitely a Ken Russell, the devil's kind of thing going on. I mean, to me, it was like that same sensory overload. Oh, that's good, yeah. I mean, that's one of my favourite films. Um, I, was, I was lucky enough to screen it in a, a, a fantastic fest in um, uh, in Texas a few years ago, and, it, and I'd never seen it in the cinema, The Devils, and it was quite the thing. To see a lot of people who'd never seen it before, like, you could literally see the tops of their heads lifting off <laughs> as it was going on. I think that was divisive too. Yeah, I think so, yeah, it was, yeah. I think it's probably, I mean, when I finish watching this film, I have a lot of questions, so I'm sure there's a lot of questions in the audience, so I'm going to start, uh, who wants to ask a question? Who wants a t-shirt? <laughs> who wants a t-shirt? First. Um, it, it's a book that I, I'd read when I was a kid, and I kind of, um, I think I enjoyed it for the anarchy and the, um, straight in with the t-shirt, that's good. <laughs> um, uh, I, and the sex and the violence. Uh, but I think when I came back to it, I, what I was dismayed about was that, as for predictive fiction, it had kind of largely come true. You know, and I thought that that was what was interesting and what I wanted to kind of use as a, um, you know, to, to, to make a film out of. Because it, at the same time, as it, it talks about the, the right now, but then it talks about it from a position that's far away from us, so it doesn't feel too, like, accusatory. You know, so you can, you can enjoy the flares and the, the kippertise and whatever and the 70s-ness of it but also can talk about the, the, the what's happening in the, uh, right now in, in terms of um, the kind of the increasing division between rich and poor and the, um, and, the, and our reliance on technology. No, it's later. Yeah, that's the 80s, yeah. But strictly speaking... It's a time travelling vehicle, so it could, it, it could turn up. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, I mean, I try not to kind of um, sit down with a playbook of movies that I want to emulate, but I think it's inevitable that these things come through. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that Shivers is obviously a um, is an interesting film in that respect. You know, and the, the fact that it, it, Shivers is out in 1975 is about a tower block that goes mental. Um, and I, I'd always assumed that it was that influenced by High Rise, but then High Rise is published in 75. So they, so both Ballard and Cronenberg seem to be kind of parallel in that in that, in that respect. Um, but I've still not got to the bottom of. What, how that worked. You know, we we'd looked at lots of different types of buildings, like Trellick Tower and um, and uh, and then just general kind of um, brutally stuff. But then it needed to be its own building because it was too big, really, to be anything from the period. 
and then the idea that he'd made, built it so it was like a hand coming out of the water is out with the pond as the palm was a was another thing that made it particular and kind of different so we looked at lots of different stuff we looked at Corbusier as well but it was more it, it what we kind of went for um, was that it was a pocket universe that it was that never existed, but it was a, like an alternate seventies um, because it's Ballard, you know, predicting into the future. Um, but we're looking at it from way past his predictions, so it's kind of you know we already know what exactly what happened. So it's almost like it, the timeline's gone off to a to an angle. Um, I think it was from, from making Kill List. And I've seen what happens when you don't stay your hand. And you kind of lose the audience for a bit. Or you appall them so much that they just don't recover. And, and with a film that's this dense, I think if you if you suddenly show stuff that's so incredibly graphic that it just your heart just skips and you just can't take anything in for a bit. It's just a physiological effect of, of witnessing violence if it's done right. You know, if it's done viscerally and, and realistically, that you 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 basically then have to. You see, the same it works. It, there is a there's a cliche about violence and comedy being similar. And for comedy, what you have to do is build in gaps for the laughs if you're confident about it, because people will laugh over the next line and over the next line. But the same with violence. If it's too much, then you just don't recover from it. And you just sickened and you kind of go, oh god, you know. And then and then the film has to be five hours long, and no one wants that. Hey, um. uh, at what point were you making Well, I am a, um, an ironic and unapologetic fan of ABBA. <laughs> I love ABBA. I'm Ben Wheatley and I love ABBA. <laughs> and, um, uh, and that was, and Amy Jump, the screenwriter, wrote that into the, into the script from the very beginning. And it's something that we, we brought on from doing um, sightseeing, just the use of cover versions and the double use of music. And I think, I think what's interesting with that is that it's kind of like a, a movie itself is like a memory trick. You're trying to trick the audience, your good selves, into thinking you've been there already and remembered it. And music is an incredible trigger for that. So the ABBA itself comes with a lot of weight as well and cultural weight. And also that the lyrics are so um, well crafted and, and beautiful, you know. So it was kind of all those things together that, that brought ABBA to the fold and I got to write to Apple as well <laughs> and boy, yeah and Poisehead well the Poisehead came through Twitter and the same with Clint Mansell as well just like um, I, I was watching uh, uh, watching uh, uh, Glastonbury and watching Poisehead and going God, I fucking love Poisehead <laughs> and, uh, and I looked on my phone and I'm like oh shit Jeff Barrow follows me on Twitter how bizarre is that I said fucking Jeff Barrow shit so I so emailed him and, and that was it. But can you imagine what, how that would have been ten years ago if you wanted to contact Portishead? You'd have to like sacrifice a child or something, <laughs> and like hung out in Bristol for like t- you know two or three months, talking to like people and passing messages. But now you know, thanks to technology, you can just just ping him and he comes back like ten seconds later. You know, it's good. Is that the fall at the end? It is indeed. Yeah. Oh, I mean, if you've got Abba, the fall and Portishead in your soundtrack, you know. Well, that's it. This is this is the, the the deal I've made with the devil, and hopefully I will transcend you. Know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
was shot over seven weeks and um, basically there were two strong factors that um, were, were upon us for the how we shot it. One was that we had to shoot Jeremy Irons out in, in um, two weeks. So that we had to shoot the whole film and then start again basically and shoot the rest of the film. And the other one was um, James Purefoy was getting married and it made a massive impact on the schedule so we had to build it all around James and then they were going get rid of him and I was like I fucking love James Fuelfoy there's no way so, so yeah it was it, but it's not uncommon you know I mean it's a, it's a rare luxury to shoot stuff in chronological order but um, I think that's more um, power to Tom Hiddleston's performance that he managed to kind of keep that that breakdown um, steady and, and really stick across all that uh, all that jumping about I uh, uh, just wondering, like you really stuck to the novel, and I really liked that about it. But I'm just wondering how easy of a sell was that, because that can't have been an easy sell to a lot of people. Really you, sticking to it. Did you bring your own microphone? <laughs> yeah, I just have it just in case I end up in a Q and A. Or is it just one just right in the middle of the whole room? <laughs> the emergency microphone. Yeah. Um, no, it was it was remarkably smooth the whole thing you know I think there was a will to make the book um, and there wasn't a lot of no it wasn't there wasn't much and we kind of you know there was um, there wasn't any interference or kind of pressure to change it from once we'd shot it as well particularly so we're very lucky like that and it did feel like the kind of uh, you know the last of the big arty novels to be made into a film we felt lucky that we that they'd allowed us. Yeah. Um, I'm hey, go back, right back here. Right, oh, right over the back. You, yes. Yep. Hey, Van. Uh, I was just no, sorry, wondering. For, sorry, for the back. <laughs> nothing, nobody's got any questions right. back there, so sorry. Oh, sorry. that's cruel. I know. Run, run. Thank you. But it was an easy one as well. Um, there were a lot of references to French. Is that connected to the French Revolution? Um, in the divide between the high society and the low society. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the French New Wave as well. Yeah. So there's a, bit, there's a bit of both of those things. I'm sorry if we can bring it back down to that man the way we're robbed back there. <laughs> it's going to be a really bitter, hard question now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Ben, uh, I was just wondering which character do you feel closest to in the building? Um, the character played by Tony Way, who's the uh, the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> Tony was only born a few miles away from where I was born, and uh, yeah, I got asked this the other day. It's like, what floor would you be on? And I'm like, the fucking bottom floor. Come on, with all the other scum from the media. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just wondering, your films are generally pretty anarchic and, and surrealist, sorry, over. Um, uh, yeah, I was just wondering, how much uh, <laughs> how much resistance do you, do you find yourself encountering just when it comes to getting funding for something like this? Um, th- this has been, this, as I say, this was alright, you know, it wasn't, there seemed to be a will to make this movie. Um, well, it helps you make films very cheaply. You kind of you know yeah. work fast. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean, it's not it. It doesn't. It does amaze me. You know, when we get this stuff through, and then it kind of you know to to get the, that this kind of level of actors to do this kind of stuff, 
and then get it into cinemas is blows my mind every time. When I see it, when I see a big audience like this watching it, it's great. So yeah, it's not um, it's not the kind of you know it's not like a, a massive punch up to get this to, to to make it. I don't know if I you know they'll let me make another one like this. We'll see. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Okay. Just just on the casting thing for a second, as you mentioned Tony Way, who I love, but also the revelation for me in this movie was Angelo Sepathimiu from Shooting Stars. Yeah. Who is I was watching it going, that's Angelos. And then yeah. he's brilliant. And how did that end up happening? Um, it was really simple. It was like we we sat down and we thought who can play this character and Amy went, Oh, Dan Skinner and then we asked him and he said yes. But you know, he, I, you could tell I mean, I, I, you know, I've got form with this kind of stuff of using comic performance to run straight roles, and you could tell he was going to be great. And I'd worked with him a couple of times because I shot some stuff, I shot some of the shooting stars. So I'd worked with him, and he was, um, I did Tiny Hands, which is one of the sketches on it. And, um, uh, and I worked with him a few times, and, you, you know, so you could tell. A lot of this stuff, weirdly, a lot of casting we, we end up doing is either by people that we know people I've talked to or we look at interviews with people on TV rather than looking at the performances they've done on, in films just to see what, who they are yeah because I didn't recognise him and it was just a, a brilliant he's got a massive beard on to be fair <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey sorry hey Ben yeah. uh, I wanted to ask a similar enough question to the last lad that was asking question but what was it like working with a, a bigger budget I assume you had a much bigger budget for this film here yeah, I mean, it, having a bigger budget meant a lot of things. You know, we got to build sets for the first time, um, got to completely control the image, got to um, have tracking and grip equipment, which seems pretty fundamental to filmmaking, but this is the first time in five films we've ever had it. So, um, so yeah, that was it. Was a it was a big, made a massive difference. Um, but but then in terms of like how I work with the actors and how the general production run, was run, it was the same as all the other movies. So it wasn't it didn't make a it wasn't like an overwhelming fear because there was loads of cash, but it was it was um, just pleasant that there was some. I mean, we, we don't have time to get into it, but I know that uh, I mean from talking to Andy, who, who produces a lot of your films, that sometimes when an, a more conventional crew encounters your way of working, they can be a little bit nonplus and kind of. Uh, wonder, you know, how do we do this, and what do you do when that happens? Um, I don't know, I've never, never experienced that. I mean, I kind of... Uh, it, yeah, I think, I think uh, it was what we're talking about there. I think it was more of the speed, the speed at which you work. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, really I, think, I think working fast... I, I think what it is with the basic... The, the bottom line is with actors, trying to, once you warm them up, you don't want them to go cold again, and I think that... And once you're engaging everybody and working as fast as possible, then that, 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 that's, there's loads of benefits to that. And now this film was kind of shot like it was on location in the past, so that all the sets had ceilings on them and they were lit from the outside. So then we went into the sets and then kind of um, had to make it out of that, like with a kind of fake available light. So that, that kept that kind of spontaneity going. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it blew me away to realise after I'd seen the film that when you look out the window, when you're on the balcony in any of those... Flats that doesn't exist. None of that exists. So the yeah. the views out the windows, everything was. Well, that's a painting. Most of it yeah. is old school. Yeah, there's a lot of little tricks like that in there, which are you know, we got to build a like um a fake um uh, stairwell and threw do, uh, dolls furniture down it. That's one of the shots in the film. <laughs> and on fire as well. 
Okay, that's on. And th there was one situation I know where you ended up with only half of what you asked for when you were looking for an effect. The, what was that, sorry? It was only, it was yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, the, the, sadly, the, the, the budget didn't stretch to, I mean, it stretched a long way, you know, it's, it's credit to the production team that we got so much out of it, but one thing they wouldn't pay for, which was a bridge too far, was the back legs on the um, Afghan hound that drowned. And they wouldn't pay for it. And so if you notice in the film, it has a blanket over its back legs, <laughs> uh, which is a great, you know, this is the thing where you, you feel like you're not an adult when you're in a conversation about the two grand, which seems insane, and the large amount of money to pay for a fake dog's legs when you can just go and throttle the dog. <laughs> you know, not that I was, you know, you shouldn't do that. But if that did come up, that you could look at dog hitman to do it. But it, 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 it yeah, so that's why, you know, one of the central key images of that book isn't in the film, because it would only have been half a dog floating in the pool. So, you know, I think we've got most of it. It's even more Ballardian with only half a dog, though, surely. You know? What happened to the back end? Um, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry, there you go. Uh, I have a simple question. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Michael Smiley's performances in your films. Uh, I was disappointed to see he wasn't in this one, I suppose. <laughs> uh, will you be working with him again? Are you applying to? Yeah, I mean, basically what had happened with Smiley this that year is I'd already done Doctor Who with him. And he'd already he's already in the Top Trump's Doctor Who villain cards. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I'd done my Smiley work. Um, he was off doing like one of his hundred other films he was doing that year. And I have worked with him again subsequently on Free Fire, which is the new film that we've, we've just we're just coming into post production with. So I feel I don't feel guilty about not having Smiley in every fucking film. <laughs> also, also, he's not in Sightseers, and which is a film he resolutely refuses to watch because he's not in it. <laughs> so yeah. I try my best. Yeah. Well, you got Neil Maskell, eh? Yeah, exactly. I, I like to think that the Neil Maskell perform. Uh, the, uh, his character in High Rise is his is the father of the character in Kill List, <laughs> and he did he did there was a line in it which we cut out because it was too much, and he goes, oh, "I've just had a kid, he's called Jay." And, and Amy saw it, and went, just fucking that's the one line I wrote in the whole thing. She take that out. What's that? So uh, yeah. I, uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about the film is. Um, that everyone grows to accept the way things are going, like, and that's great in dystopian fiction. Do you think um, some kind of recent dystopian fiction, and I'm kind of thinking of like the, the Hunger Games is a bit light, like everyone kind of fights against all the bad stuff that's happening to them instead of like getting used to it and, you know, enjoying it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak to Hunger Games, but we're living in a dystopian fiction, aren't we, the whole fucking time? And we all have to get on with it. You, know, you can't all just get an arrow and shoot people, can you? So, so. But yeah, I, I, I think that I think a lot of stuff that is missing from these movies is often joy and happiness and, and accepting and accepting the anarchy and finding some way through it. It seems weird that you, I really like the first two Hunger Games movie, but they became kind of the last one was just lots of people crying, wasn't it? It just went on and on. But, um, I, I, you know, I think. Um, you know, I like to I like to think about the other one, the other way, which is the Mad Max future, where we all have Mohicans and ride around on motorbikes. You know, that seems a bit more upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't 
to Starlink it's it's going to happen is it <laughs> well, don't you where would you, where'd you get the tyres from <laughs> you mentioned about adding a line into the script I know that like some of the other films you've had a certain amount of improvisation in did you do much improv on this one no none was that the first no uh, there was nothing in film England either that was that was impossible to improvise and, and base, basically two both being Amy only scripts they're so tight there's nothing you can you can improvise away but it'll never make it into the cut and did you drop anything was there anything that was unused left on the floor or was it all in there the back legs and the dog just <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, no 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 it's all in I think pretty much I mean it's yeah it was that was the whole the whole nine yards everything kitchen sink I was always curious because Bruce Robinson who wrote with Mel and I also wrote a high rise script did you avoid reading that like the plague or were you curious to know what what that would have well, been. I didn't write the script, so it's not down to me. And yeah. Amy didn't read any of it. And no. She read the book and then she wrote the script, and that yeah. was it. Um, I mean, I would, you know, I'd love to have seen the road version of the film. Yeah. You know, but he didn't make it, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, you seem to move fairly easily between the very different types. The comedy you mentioned, and obviously things are really serious. So the farcical elements of it, you kind of blend American comedy with English comedy with very European levels of farce, and how easy was that to do when bringing it together on screen? Um, I, don't, I don't think I think about it in that respect, but I kind of, um, you know, it's just taste, and it's really just what makes Amy and I laugh, but whether it goes in or not. That's the only way you can judge it, I think. Um, I don't think as uh, analytically as that, sadly. <laughs> But uh, I wish I, I should have just said yes, shouldn't I? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's what it's it, you know she's written the, the script from the book, and the, the the script is full of a kind of dark humour, and then we've tried to capture that, and then we see if it works or it doesn't work, um, and that's generally how we how it is. But it, it, like, I think filmmaking is just a, 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 a kind of series of, of um, decisions about taste, often. You know, and that's the test all the time, and whether or not that line between things being too violent, too scary, too silly is that that's the the line that you tread on all these decisions one after the other. Um, yeah. Somebody over here. Yeah, I was just wondering, did um, any of the actors uh, come with their kind of own interpretation of the characters, or did that change at all uh, during it, or did everyone kind of stick mainly to how you saw it from the beginning? I think with working with actors, it's always a kind of a negotiation that they bring something and then... I mean, I'm not a kind of... I'm not someone who acts stuff out and says, this is how I like it, and describes it in that way. I'm more a kind of an observer, and I see what they do, and I kind of work from that position. And if it's way, way out, then we've got work to do, and if it's not, then we kind of just gently think. But I think it's like the name is... It's a director, it's not a teller. So you kind of just prodding, and then that's my job across all the members of the crew as well. You know, it's just a general, uh, general corralling of the whole thing. I'm a bit more, you know, um, violent about it when it comes to the edit, but the but the, 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 the collaboration of everybody together is is, is more gentle. That was the question that broke the camel's back. <laughs> okay, I think we'll take one more question. Thank you. 
So it's kind of going off of that question, but um, I guess what would what would you say is the hardest part of character development? Crikey. <laughs> That's quite a broad question. The hardest part of character development um, is probably um, is the moment that Amy jumps sits down with the novel and has to write the script. That's the that's where it it starts, you know, um, which I have nothing to do with on this film, so I can duck that that one. I kind of saw her doing it through the crack in the door, and uh, I'd say every couple of weeks, is it done? She'd tell me to fuck off. <laughs> um, after a few about six seven weeks, it was finished, and I read it, and, and it was that was the film that we made. So the the kind of I've spent quite a lot of time doing this press stuff with, um, and Q and A's and kind of dispelling the idea that the director is like someone in a smoking jacket who walks around pulling pages out of the book saying do it like this it's not how we work at all um, I think there's a kind of you know this whole auteur thing is a bit you know it's different strokes for different folks and certainly in the in our situation we've seen on the credits on this it's the 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 end credit is written by and directed by so Amy's credit and my credit together on on a single card um, and that was a conscious decision because I think we're finding that the more that we work together the, the, um, those roles are blended that the, the writer who edits and the director who edits are kind of having similar amounts of power within the creative process um, obviously that does also the film has a film by Ben Wheatley at the front of it but that was more about my arm twisted into that I might be doing that again you know because I think it's wrong but yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a meandering question. I didn't answer your question, did I? But I, I filled the room with words. So that's a bit <laughs> okay, the only director you'll ever meet who's suing his way out of a credit. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this. You know, it, I I get enough pleasure out of it without fucking taking credit for every single thing that happens in the film. You know, it's like, you know and I think. As we've gone on working together, it feels like it's more like co-directing. So it's kind of, but it isn't co-directing because you won't come on set. But you know, it's something like that. I don't know. We'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay. One more. One more. Right over here. Hi. Um. Sorry. Um, I was just wondering: was there any kind of? Is there? Have you got a list in your head of kind of Irish actors you'd like to work with in the future? Um, would you use Ireland to fill them in the end? No, I'd, I'd like to work with Jack Rayner and Killian Murphy. If they work with me, I don't know if they work. Do you want to talk about Free Fire? Let us know when it's coming out. What's happening? Oh, yeah, it's out in September. Yeah. So I'll find out about Free Fire. So. <laughs> you know, I'm too fast. Yeah, good. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, everybody, for uh, your excellent questions.